Today's podcast is brought to you by the 2020 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Register now at AllianceNet.org. Stay tuned after the podcast for more about what may prove to be our most popular conference ever. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Greetings and welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. My name's Carl Truman. I'm a professor at Grove City College, and I'm here with my usual co-hosts and collaborators, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian. Could you add uh, professional potato peeler? Professional that? potato peeler, radical feminist, a destroyer of Western civilization. <laughs> know it. Uh, and Todd Pruitt, pastor of... Pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. I'm not going to help you. In Harrisonburg, Virginia. Some coffee, Carl. Uh, and uh, minister in the Presbyterian Church in America. In America. So it's great to be with uh, you all today. And our topic today is a pretty timely one. Uh, almost every week now, well, I won't say almost every week, but with disturbing regularity, the great leaders of yesterday's Young, Restless, and Reformed movement seem to be hitting problems. Uh, we had Josh Harris over the summer, and more recently, uh, the Acts 29 network has been once again engulfed in controversy over, once again, abusive leadership, uh, relative this time to uh, an English expat, one of my fellow countrymen, Steve Timmis, helping to head up the Acts 29 network. And we don't want to spend our time today cheap-shotting uh, uh, Young wrestlers and Reformed Outfits. Least of all do I want to say, I told you so about the celebrity culture, because uh, uh, I've said that too many times before. What we want to do is talk about the capacity for abusive leadership in the church. We have done podcasts in the past talking about the very real problem of abuse of pastors by congregants. But there's also the other side of the equation, and that is that there are pastors who use their positions to abuse their congregations. And joking aside, uh, this is not something that is a monopoly of the megachurch pastor, uh, of the pastor who's on a whopping great six-figure salary, of the pastor who's headlining at the big conferences, and who has a staff or cast of thousands to do his bidding, power can be used in an abusive way, even in the smallest setting of a 30-member local church. So we want to talk today about signs that your pastor may be spiritually abusing you uh, and reflect upon uh, what steps one might take to either deal with such a situation if it sadly exists or uh, prevent, preclude such a situation from developing in the first place. Uh, 
So, uh, abusive pastors, guys. Good thing or bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm against it. Uh, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just step out on thin ice and say I'm against abusive pastors. It was interesting. I, I forwarded you all a, a, an article a little while ago, and, and the author makes, makes a point going back to um, uh, Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good uh, article. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, Aquinas talks about the fact that uh, power, since that is an attribute of God, insofar as it is exercised in a holy and righteous way by those with whom God entrusts a certain level of power or authority to, is to be a very, very good and blessed thing. Anytime we embody any of, of, of God's communicable attributes, um, not just some of the, the ones that are thought more meek, but, but, but also things like authority and power, anytime those things are exercised in a way that brings glory to God and blesses people, that that's a very, very good thing. And, and, and so uh, the point he's making is that then when that is, when that is uh, twisted by those who are entrusted uh, with a level of power or authority, that what we're doing is we're actually lying about God, whereas we should be embodying the kind of, of authority uh, that God has in that it manifests itself as fatherly and, and always for the good of the object, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When, when we twist that, when it's used to harm people, to bully people, to manipulate people, um, not only are we doing evil to other people, we're actually also lying about God. We're twisting potentially what people will even believe about God. And of course, we see this in churches that have abusive pastors when you have the fallout of people who, who walk away from the faith or end up embracing a kind of Christianity that, that very much doesn't look like Christianity anymore. Now, they're still responsible for the choices they make, but the agency that the abuser has in that is significant. Yeah, that, I want to reference that article. It's um, MatthewMason.org. And the article's called, Our Abusive Leaders, Do We Love God? Right. And yeah, this was an excellent article. And um, there were several points in there that I felt like were worth discussing and ones that I could identify with in some ways in different situations, um, you know, in my life. But he really asked, like, what in God's being and character are we communicating? Mm-hmm. And, and so one part I really found interesting is when he was – well, when he was talking about power, he was really talking about um, the doctrine of simplicity, too, mm-hmm. so that um, God's power is also his goodness. Right. You can't separate those two things. Mm-hmm. And so then he kind of got in more detail to when you have leaders defending rude, controlling, bullying, and sometimes misogynist leaders, they defend it and downplay it with all these hurried references to their gifts and their achievements and mm-hmm. their fruitfulness. Um, you know, he's saying, what are we communicating about God when we do that? Because right. that's what you see a lot is the abusive behavior gets downplayed because all the good that this person has done for the church. Right. Well, that's a point I've made a number of times. One of the, one of the problems you have in, uh, in the church, of course, is that the rhetoric that can be deployed to justify wickedness is very powerful rhetoric. As soon as you start talking about gospel or about number of conversions. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing a class this morning on the, it's my sort of preliminary class before I teach a little section on the course I'm teaching on, on romanticism. So we're looking just at the uh, French revolution. I pointed out that the, you know, 
the administrative centre of the butchery of the French Revolution was uh, the Committee for Public Safety. <laughs> yeah, who's opposed to public safety? That's just <laughs> nobody. Uh, and I think that the church, and, and I, you know, I came across this when I made my critique of the celebrity culture. Uh, the two responses were one, well, you're a celebrity too, which was rather trivial one on the grounds that people have heard of you and therefore you must be a celebrity. Mm -hmm. And the other one was, yes, but look at the good that's being done. Mm -hmm. Look at the good, look at the gospel that's going forward. You know, and who's going to say, well, I don't think the gospel should go forward. Right. You know, when you've got a powerful culture uh, that is using that kind of, of language, it's very difficult to critique it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Acts 29, who am I as a, you know, let's have a pastor of a hundred person OPC church. The only reason I would ever criticize an Acts 29 pastor, of course, is that I'm envious of their numbers and their success, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so the, there is a rhetorical problem that, you know, these big guys or any pastor in any church mm -hmm. has that, I think we mentioned it before, before this, has that do not touch the Lord's anointed sort yeah. of rhetoric readily available at their fingertips that makes uh, intelligent discussion and critique very, very difficult from the outset. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to, um, I think one thing I've noticed is just the need for discernment and the, um, the boldness that it takes to use discernment because, you know, you want to overlook and you cover, cover something, some mm -hmm. smaller sins in people, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to be calling on every little thing. Right. But when you see actual abusive behavior, I think the problem is that people don't want to label it bullying. Mm -hmm. or label it abusive. So I found a really helpful definition. Um, and it was from listening on Julie Roy's podcast to her interview with Stephen McAlpine, I think is that how you pronounce mm -hmm, his name? Mm -hmm. And he has a blog, stephenmcalpine.com, that I went to after listening to the podcast because she was referencing. Um, he's written some articles on bullying. And so he defines it in his article, Bullying Volume 2. He says, a bully has a track record within an organization that follows a particular and repeated pattern. This includes gaslighting, shaming, reframing narratives, isolating individuals, misuse of scripture to excuse themselves or blame the victims, and then covering their tracks through half-truths or lies. This is exacerbated, and I think this is important, because uh, why does this continue? <laughs> by a compliant, willfully blind, or cowardly management structure within which that person is working, that instead of reprimanding or sacking the bully, allows them to continue their work at the expense of the victim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, I mean, you've got the, that behavior, but then you've got this enabling culture within that behavior. But to have, the, I think to have um, that list there is really helpful to be discerning on, okay, yeah, this, I see a lot of these in this list, and right. that's bullying. That's mm -hmm. abuse. So it's important, I think, to to be able to call it out for what mm -hmm. it is. And it's it's hard for pastors to be in a position where there is um, actual healthy accountability. And what I mean by that is, yeah. on on the one hand, you have uh, the the church that operates from the standpoint of you know, the pastor's kind of the CEO of the corporation and, and he's the Lord's man and he's called and, right. and we just need to let him lead. And then you've got, a, you know, another end of a spectrum where um, a pastor himself is, is kind of cowed by 
um, the congregation or a group within the congregation. And there's plenty of examples of no accountability and inappropriate accountability, but accountability is hard for pastors because they live in, oftentimes we live in a world that's, that's in a lot of ways really different from people who aren't aren't pastors. I mean, we, we have such an unusual job. And oftentimes, most pastors, because most churches are around 100 or so people, most pastors are the only person on staff, really, except for maybe an administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. And so they're regularly, there's very little oversight of what they're doing. Now, the work of a pastor is fairly unique, and so it's going to look different from a lot of work. But I, I tell you, I need the regular um, uh, feedback I get from uh, the people I work with. I'm fortunate enough to be in a church that has a staff and has um, other pastors on staff that I'm with multiple times throughout the week, during the week, each day, as well as a session. But, but that's, that's not typical of, of most pastors. And, and so I think it's very easy for a pastor to go through a long period of time without anybody ever calling him out on his crud. And, and what that can do in his heart is it sets up a, an expectation that nobody ever is going to do that. And I think a lot of these guys that turn out to be bullies would have never thought they'd be that way when they were in seminary or brand new in the ministry. Yeah. But, I but, think, but it builds up over time. And we could add to that, I think there's a further complication as well, because mm-hmm. pastors are often the ones who take the brunt of the rubbish from people. That is correct. You can end up cutting yourself a bit more slack yep. than you might you cut, otherwise yep. have done. I always think of David and Bathsheba. You know, where does mm-hmm. that come from? Mm-hmm. Suddenly he goes from being this magnificent king to being really right. rather a, uh, a disaster. Right. And you're speculating always mm-hmm. when, you, when you try to get to the sort of the psychological right. motivations of characters in the Old Testament. Right. But it doesn't seem to me beyond the realms of possibility that David had worked hard. He'd taken his licks mm-hmm. in the wilderness. He'd, he'd, had, he'd had a rough ride to the throne. And once he was on the throne, he was happy to just cut himself a little bit of slack that he mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily cut for other people. So I think that feeds into it yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, along with that also, I, I think, is this idea that pastors oftentimes become rather isolated in terms of close friendships. I know that um, over periods of time, I've, I've struggled with that because you move and you're the, the people who knew you through high school and college and out of college, you haven't been around for 30 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And, and before you know it, you realize that you're rather isolated and the people who know you only know you at a basically surface level. Yeah. And, what, and that's dangerous because what can happen then is unchecked patterns of ungodliness can begin to creep up and not necessarily the big, ugly, you know, adultery and those kinds of things, but things start to happen in terms of what we're talking about here, subtle shifts in how you start to treat people, your empathy starts to wane, your sympathy starts to erode, and you begin to have expectations that, like you said, Carl, well, you know, doggone it, I'm the pastor and this is the way it needs to be. And then a man who would have never thought he would have ever bullied anybody comes up and suddenly for the last five years, he's just been really mean to a lot of people. What you're saying, I can totally identify with, yeah. with most people. Yeah. I think that there's this particular type though. Like, and the difference is when you're confronted. Yes. Um, you know, like even David with the right. heinousness of Bathsheba. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't trust you with Saul. Right. Yeah. 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 He, when he was confronted, he was truly right. yeah. crushed. Repentant, crushed. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, but if you're meekly trying to confront a pastor, even if, whether it's the elders or right. a congregant or a friend, um, and if that person is then the one labeled as divisive, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I've mentioned before is, is that the ministry can and does at times attract guys who, who have a tendency towards being kind of megalomaniacal. Right. Yeah. So, so there are those guys that end up in the ministry. And I think another danger here, and we've talked about this before, but this bears repeating, is that there have been too many young guys who've been promoted so quickly without having the requisite wisdom develop in them and the requisite godliness to develop within them that only typically years bring. But they've been promoted so quickly because they can appeal to certain numbers and certain niches that their souls are imperiled because they were too immature. And not only were their souls imperiled, but unfortunately, um, the many people they hurt. Right. And that is, I mean, a factor that gets, it's there, but it's left out of the equation so much is the the severity, the gravity of Mm -hmm. the pain caused by spiritual abuse. and. I was also reading in Stephen McAlpine's blog on his bullying volume one. And it really stood out to me because he said that, um, and he was talking about a psychologist saying that spiritual abuse victims have very similar symptoms as sexual abuse Mm -hmm. victims because, Mm -hmm. and he says that they cross intimacy barriers the same way that so that they both have that same sense of, shock and betrayal like is this really happening right now and and how did this happen to me they can't believe that it's happening and so they kind of go into isolation they feel like they're the only one experiencing it that it's not like that for anyone else um and and it keeps them quiet Mm -hmm. i found that really interesting because i mean that's severe pain Mm -hmm. very much so well when when you're when you're hurt or betrayed by the person who is your pastor someone particularly if you're raised believing that you know the pastor he's he's called by god equipped by god he's put in this place to proclaim the word of god to me when that person hurts you it's got to be particularly shepherd painful and traumatic right and i wonder and again i'm I'm just going to reference kind of the uh the problems that success can have with a guy's soul but think about being a a 24 year old seminary grad and you plant a church and in less than 10 years it is a bona fide 5,000 member megachurch it has happened and we have examples of it now I, I know that I could have never navigated something like that um, and I don't know many people who can safely navigate something like that and and come out on the other end being a a mature um, a careful um, compassionate and patient shepherd because what happens is so often typically you you want to protect every bit of growth you experience and that makes a pastor very insecure and an insecure pastor hurts people mm-hmm. burn bridges early and often that's the advice i give people yeah. <laughs> the less temptations there are the less likely you are to fall uh, when i agree tom i so, sorry, Amy, you were going to say? I said there's some wisdom in that, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I've referenced this numerous times, and I'm not doing it for self-promotional purposes, but I, I sat on that panel at T4G in front of that mm-hmm. crowd of thousands, and I made yeah. a joke and everybody laughed, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming off the platform that day thinking, I like that too much. Right. I don't want to do that again because mm-hmm. – 
I saw something in my own soul there that I thought, wow, that would be, that would be easy to exploit and it would right. be easy to turn me into somebody I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that, that everybody thinks that way. Right. Right. You know, it's, uh, and the seductive nature of, of power, it's incremental, it's mm-hmm. imperceptible and it's poisonous. And, uh, and I would want to warn you know, all pastors, I would want to warn particularly younger pastors, be very careful of this because, you know, very few guys are going into the ministry thinking, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bully people and I'm going to be abusive. You just don't think that you're going to, going to get to that place. And I I would just want to warn guys to remember that if you're a pastor in an unhealthy church, in a toxic church, then a, a lot of that could very possibly rub off on you and you could get some really unnecessarily rough edges and start hurting people, your people yourself. Yeah, but yeah. there's also this danger of, of being in a, a church that's that, that highly prizes you and praises you. And you begin to believe your own press if you're not careful. And, and so that anybody then that, that you feel might threaten that, you know, five years of that. And you might wake up one day finding that, that anybody who's not in, you know, one of your cheerleaders, you've started to, to exclude, you've started to marginalize, and then you've started to bully, and then you've started to gossip about, and then you've, these things I think happen a lot quicker and a lot more easy than a lot of pastors are aware of that that Uh, it can happen in their hearts. I remember a shocking conversation I had at another institution, which will remain nameless. Yes. Where I was told to stop writing on certain topics because quote, it's preventing us from getting connected to the people we want to be connected to. Right. That's corruption. Right. That's corruption. Yeah. I was going to say that. You've crossed a line there. Also when you are so um, desirous to have, these people like you and lift you up in that way, mm-hmm. you become unwilling to reevaluate certain issues mm-hmm. that, you know, um, are important to those people. Right. One of my things that I, that I plead with younger guys in ministry to, to do is to make sure that they have a network of relationships or at least a circle of relationships. And, and, it, and it needs to be guys, and this is the hard part, it needs to be some guys within the church who, who will call you out on things. And the reason why it needs to be guys within the church, whether it is pastors that you serve with on staff or some trusted laypersons, you know, the session, the deacons, whoever that needs to be. The reason why it needs to be people inside your church that, that do that is because they know you better than your pastor friends at other churches. Yeah. Um, your pastor friends at other churches don't know if you're acting like a bully. They don't know if you're starting to to get abusive in your approach or too heavy-handed in your shepherding. They don't see that. But but the pastors you serve with probably see it. Uh, the session you serve with probably sees it. Yeah. Some people within the congregation probably see it. And so that's why that's why hearing from these folks and regularly submitting to to, to hearing. So for one of the things we have <laughs> on our staff set up is that all of the, the, the people on staff, the, the, the associate pastors and the, uh, the ministry directors, all each year fill out an anonymous evaluation on me Whew. that goes to the session. It's anonymous. I don't see who wrote what. That's like what Carl gets for being a yeah. professor. <laughs> and, 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 and then the session at my evaluation every year, 
Um, if, the, if they see red flags or that kind of thing, they will talk about those things. They'll talk about what I'm complimented for. And, they'll, and, and if they see a pattern of, wow, you know, we've got five people saying Todd's really not doing well in this area, you know, then they would talk to me about that. Could we extend and, this to include podcast buddies? Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> colleagues on podcasts. <laughs> right, right. I would buy one of these. Yeah, uh, I, I would say, I would guess that most pastors don't have a system like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, and, that's a hard, and I and, hate it among students actually, but we live well, with it, you know, well, and, so. and, you know, and, and, and there are, there are risks to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, 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 if you have to, as the pastor kind of have some hard conversations with a couple people on staff, cause they're not doing their job well, well, you know, they might take revenge. I mean, that can happen. It can happen. Mm-hmm. Hopefully though, you have enough good conversation with all of the relevant uh, players that they can ferret some of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff out. Um, yeah. But but in in my context, it's good for me because I'm telling you, uh, I think about that during the year. So so those kinds of of, of evaluations, I, I I think are are important, and you know they they can be abused like anything. But but I I, I do think because of the nature of. Of, of a pastor's responsibilities because of the nature of the freedom that we're often given that we need those sorts of checks um, to keep our, our hearts in check because we're as susceptible as anybody to sin and, and good grief. If we sin in these areas, the stakes are so high because we're pastors. And so I just want to tell pastors, you've got to have accountability in this and it's got to be from within the church, from the people who see how you operate, the people who see how you speak to people, the people who see how you treat people, so that if you start to exhibit signs of unrealistic demands, of waning gentleness and more heavy-handedness, you've got folks in your life to tell you and to recognize that so that you don't wake up one day and, and, and you have a line of spiritually abused people behind you. Yeah, and I mean, I would appreciate your humility in, in, in that. And, and, and Carl, too, I think you guys are both looking at this as you know, men who have, are pastors, have been pastors, and um, want to send out that, that humble warning and caution. But I, I also want to just kind of at the end here just add that, like you were kind of saying before, narcissist abusive people are mm-hmm. attracted to the church and yes. to church leadership. And so I think when they come in, so, well, so often they're, they're very good manipulators, mm-hmm. uh, very good. And, and so it's very hard to identify. I mean, I heard somebody uh, explain it to me recently, like the frog in the, in the pot of lukewarm right. water, you know, and you start boiling the pot and the mm-hmm. frog doesn't realize it and, mm-hmm. and just dies in the pot. Right. Right. Never knows that it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And so I really do think that it's important to be able to recognize this, this mm-hmm. extreme type because they're, they're in the church a good bit because they're attracted to the church yeah. and how to handle them. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. then not only do you have to identify them well, but then it can be a mess in a yes. church to be able to handle this type. Right. And I think that, it's, you know, I hear, I get emails and emails and emails and mm-hmm. I've you know, been in so many situations where I've seen it. And to recognize those that, that you can disciple and correct and, and right. draw into spiritual health and those who you might not be able to do that with. Yeah. Those who are in the hardened heart category, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's decisive action that needs to be taken. You know, hopefully there's reconciliation, but mm-hmm. um, always you have to, you know, when people are being abused spiritually, mm-hmm. you cannot let that go on. Yeah. Stakes are too high. It, it, it crushes people's faith. It, it harms the witness of the church. It harms the reputation of Christ. Stakes are too high. 
Right, right. In Christ's name, for sure, and his love for his church. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of wanted to end with just that call to uh, spiritual leaders that you have an accountability as a shepherd to protect the sheep. So um, I think it's very important to take this, you know, the gravity of spiritual abuse very seriously um, as well. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's so many resources that you can go to to um, learn more about spiritual abusers. And I hope there will be more put out there. But maybe we could leave some on our website that could be helpful for you. And I thank you for listening to this conversation today. And I just want to say that, you know, we're watching you. We see you when you're sleeping. We know when you're awake. <laughs> we're coming after you. you've been bad or good. <laughs> so we good, for, for goodness, goodness sake. Sakes. So thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin. Head on over to our website. Um, and we are trying to provide some more articles for you there. You can uh, catch up on old podcasts. You can also leave a donation. We are a listener-supported ministry. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about The Bible consistently from Genesis 1 presents this tremendously paradoxical view of God in some ways, that he is transcendent, and yet he's also there intimately involved with creation. He's not the the Greek transcendent God. That interview is next time. Join us then. I make jam these days, by the way. I you made do? My, I made my first lot of jam the other week. What kind? Blueberry. <laughs> blueberry. Yeah, blueberry. I can't, get, I can't get blackcurrant jam over here. The jams are too sweet, so I had to make my own. My, my neo-fascist doctor has me on a kind of low-carb stuff. So I've been <laughs> producing my own low-carb foodstuffs in order to... And uh, you made it? I made it, and it's – I say this with all due modesty, but I think I might be the greatest jam maker in the history of the universe. It was so perfect. Very modest, yeah. So I perfect. Detect the humility in that. For the first time, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology will focus on a single book of the Bible. Plan now to join Philip Ryken, Derek Thomas, Joel Beakey, and others for Revelation, the Sovereign Reign of the Exalted Christ, March 13th through the 15th in Grand Rapids, and April 24th through the 26th in Philadelphia. This long-awaited conference may prove to be the most popular to date. Register now. Select events at AllianceNet.org to sign up online or call 1-800-488-1888.